Well, I am excited to be able to um, share with you in the future more about the ministry in Peru. I'm going to be doing a podcast so we can kind of go deeper with this and look forward to doing this together. And in this podcast, it's going to be called Helping Others. And what I want you to know is that you can help people in the jungles of Peru. You don't have to go there. You don't have to travel into that extreme area. But by your prayers, support, and your financial gifts, you can help. One of the things that they're going to be doing um, is, uh, and I'm excited about the blocks doing this, they're putting together a training center where they will teach people a whole lot of things around agriculture, which is so needed just for the physical um, preservation of life and health and, and development, that kind of holistic approach, both that as well as spiritual. They'll be training people in the Bible. They were given a special Um, They don't know how long the window will be open, but an opportunity to train people at the same time in agricultural and in the Bible. And they're looking to do that, and there's a couple of churches that we're going to be supporting them. Uh, This first round of it is about $60,000, so I'm going to ask you to be praying about something, and maybe a gift, and, and come Thanksgiving. Their Thanksgiving Easter will kind of wrap it up and hopefully be able to help them in that ministry. So we'll be kind of focusing on them and another couple missionaries, those who are global partners in the future. I do want to say this. Thank you to our high school students who led us in worship. Didn't they do an incredible job? God has gifted us as a church body in a way that I haven't seen in many church bodies we had uh, Brett Mickelson come from here, lead worship, and eventually went down to Nashville and has actually written a song for Blake Shelton and other things. He, when he was about 25, was worship leading and sat down and we had lunch together and he was saying, I just want to try that. And I said, you're not married. This is the best time of your life. Go for it. And then um, we had Grant Deacons, who's another who's come through, who's leading worship in many different places. You see Tyler um, White here. And we've just, I, I could name more and more. Um, that God has used you through your support, the way you have given to this church. Um, your gifts make a difference in the lives of people. It's made a life, not only a difference in their lives, but the lives that they live out leading people in worship is is wonderful. So I'm so grateful. Um, so I just want Aaron, Lily, and Austin especially, who are part of that team this morning, to know how grateful I am. I um, had an opportunity just a couple of weeks ago to go on a expedition to follow the Lewis and Clark expedition for a short period of time where we'd get in around Fort Benton, Montana, go down the Missouri River about 60 miles and then get out at a certain place. This all developed because I have some college buddies and we meet usually once a year. We meet in the um, Half Moon Bay uh, kind of San Francisco Bay Area. We meet in a ranch and we just get together for a long weekend. And we decided a few years back that we would start doing some trips. And so we did a what we call a civil rights trip to Selma, Alabama about four or so years ago. Right before all this stuff. And, and it was incredible the things that God did in my life and touched my heart and spirit in that. Well, we're sitting around this other time, just um, about a year ago, and we said, let's do an adventure trip. And then one of the guys remembered we had all chosen to read at one point about 12 years ago a book by Stephen Ambrose called Undaunted Courage. Anybody heard of that? We, it's a great book, and it's a great read on the whole Lewis and Clark expedition going through. 
And, and one of my friends has kind of a, what I call photographic memory. And he started to say, I remember a portion in there when they were coming along the Missouri and, and they came along the mighty moan as they came into this area called White Cliffs. And I'll, I'll read it how, um, Lewis describes it. The hills and cliffs which we pass today exhibit a most romantic appearance. They were two or three hundred feet high, nearly perpendicular, shining pure white in the sun. The water in the course of time has trickled down the soft sand cliffs and worn it into a thousand grotesque figures. Some made to represent elegant ranges of lofty freestone buildings, long galleries, some columns standing, others lying prostrate uh, and broken. And then he remembered there was a footnote. That's what caused him to remember this. There was a footnote. Who, who reads footnotes? Well, he does. Um, <laughs> and this is what the footnote says by Stephen Ambrose. He says, it is today as Lewis saw it. The white cliffs can be seen only from a small boat or canoe. Of all the historic scenic sites, this is Stephen Ambrose who's been all around the world, we have visited in the world, this is number one. We have made the trip ten times. Well, that sold us. We are going to do it. We signed up. And I was all excited about it until a couple days before. And then I got really anxious. I was really nervous. Um, My family doesn't camp. Nor do my family's families. Ever. I think I've camped once. I don't canoe. And we're going about 60 miles in about three days canoeing. We're sleeping out under the stars. I've done that maybe once or twice. And as we were going along at one point, the guide pointed out to an island and said, we will not stop there because it is so infested with rattlesnakes. I'm sleeping out under the stars with rattlesnakes, coyotes, and other critters. And we have to have some kind of survival skills. And so as I'm leaving, I give my wife, Grace, a hug. And I just whisper in her ear as I'm getting ready to go for my flight, pray I survive. (laughs) Which she obviously did. And I'm not kidding on that. But it was phenomenal. It was this incredible trip. They had taken care of food. They had everything packed in canoes for the four days that we would be gone. Honestly, it was like a um, cruise ship on canoes. Okay? I mean, we were that well taken care of. And I, I, I remember as we did this whole thing, cruise ship on canoes, there was one thing, though, I had to paddle as well. I was exhausted, but it was incredible. Going on an adventure where you um, are invigorated and, and you're placed in a position where you have to face the unknown, where in a sense you're you know, leaning over your skis a bit, where, where you're in the position where you're finding things that are new and fresh and experiencing things that you'd never experienced before. And part of what you're doing in this is you're trusting a guide. It wasn't foolhardy. It was wise because we had the Missouri River Outfitters and we had enough of them and they had everything taken care of. 
And I felt safe, yet on an adventure. I just want to share with you, as we look at this this passage of Scripture we've been in in Acts, what we're going to find is Paul is coming to the very end of his second adventure trip. Bible scholars like to call it missionary trips. I honestly think it was an adventure trip. I think Paul was living an adventure. I think Peter was living an adventure. I think John was living an adventure. I think all the disciples, all the followers of Jesus, I think every church in that day was living an adventure. They were living in such a way that they were kind of a little bit over their skis. They were a little bit moving into fresh and new experiences. And they were doing it with an incredible guide called the Holy Spirit. And these were people like you who worked ordinary jobs who went to their job and would work through the day and then they would gather together in these communities. In these communities, they would follow Jesus and they would look and pray about what could my life mean as I grow in you, Jesus, in, in the lives of other people, the people I work with, the people I'm in community with that live around me. We have lost, as a church, a sense of adventure. We have been positioned and postured in a way that I think the church, when we look at all the things that have happened, all the mistakes we've made, all the sins that we've compiled, all the things that have been rotten, we look at it and we kind of in our culture kind of shrink back and kind of are defensive about this God who we serve. And I'm not saying that you get out there and that you're in people's faces. I'm going to explain this in a moment. There's two things I really want you to think about. We are a community, and we are a community called together for a purpose, the same thing that Paul was, and that's to introduce people to Jesus. And what it looks like now may be different in some ways, but not in all kinds of ways. We are also a community of people who gather together and follow Jesus in order that we might go deeper and deeper in Jesus in our own lives. So there's a kind of external, kind of how do we reach And we live this adventure out here, asking God to be guiding us as a community, not solo. There's times you'll go out, but how do you do it internally? There's a whole landscape within some of your lives that you have not even explored because you have wounds or or you don't want to live aware of it and conscious of it. And it just messes up your relationships with people. And Jesus came to cause you to go deeper so that you can have the kind of intimate, growing relationships that you were intended by him to have. And so I want us to look at this passage of scripture. There's just something invigorating and life-giving about an adventure. And if you look at Paul, he's on this team with a bunch of friends who, and he began this adventure. Um, in Acts 16, it tells you the beginning of the second adventure trip or missionary journey. And where we come to today is in Acts 18, verses 18 through 28. And we pick this up at the very end of his second adventure trip. Paul and Silas have traveled through the first place they had gone in in what is called modern-day Turkey, and they went through and revisited these churches and then really wanted to go to Ephesus, but because the Spirit of God blocked them twice, they had to go to Troas, and in Troas, they had a vision to go over to Greece, so they go over the little bit of a sea here to a place called Philippi. Goes to Philippi, gets beaten up, leaves there, goes to Thessalonica, gets chased out of town, goes to Berea, they 
explain the gospel and they're telling about it and they say give us more time and when you're asking for more time the people from Thessalonica come to Berea chase Paul out Paul goes out by himself all along the coast of Greece goes to Athens by himself and finally picks up again with Timothy Silas and a few others in Corinth where God tells him I will take care of you and protect you and be with you in a vision he has another vision and in that place he stays 18 months. And that's what we read here as we come to 18, verse 18 through 22. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that. So he's there 18 months for some time after that. Then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Centria. There he shaved his head according to Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. He had made a vow, which it's a discipline or practice in the Old Testament Jewish faith, where you would kind of let your hair grow out of a sign of, and it could be for a number of things, but one of them was to be, show just your thankfulness to God. And I think in his case, he was saying, thank you, God, for these last 18 months. I wasn't on the run. You protected me like you said. I just want you to know how thankful I am. And so he does that at a certain point. Cuts his hair, keeps his hair in order to bring it to Jerusalem to offer it as a, as an offering. What I think is interesting about that is Paul is still willing to practice the Old Testament practices. He doesn't throw out all the practices with the New Testament. We need to be careful as a church. There are lots of practices throughout the life of the church, all the way back into Roman Catholic, where there are some practices that are good things because they help you keep your heart and soul in tune with Christ. There are some things that are not good, but I just want to say that. Paul did that. Then he set out and sailed for Syria. And note this, he took his new friends that we saw last week, Priscilla and Aquila. He took them with him. And they stopped first at the port of Ephesus. So he goes to Ephesus, a place he always wanted to go. But he knew that he couldn't stop there. Because as you read this, it says, where Paul left the others behind. Those he left behind are Priscilla and Aquila. I think they had arranged and made agreement that Paul was going to go all the way to Jerusalem, then back to Antioch. And when he does that, he's going to go to Jerusalem and show some of the missionary slides. Anybody remember those days? I date myself a little bit. I show the missionary slides, and he goes, Antioch shows the missionary slides. This is what's happened in Greece. Raises some support, I'm sure, whatever. Anyway. And so he goes, and he leaves others behind. While he was there, though, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews, which he would always do, go to the Jews first. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. He was... He was um, determined, and you're going to see this as we go through Acts. You get almost a picture, Paul looks like Christ. He's resolute, sets his face at times to go to Jerusalem, the third missionary trip especially. Um, But he declined, and as he left, however, he said, I will come back, and God willing. And then he set sail from Ephesus, and the next step was at the was at the port of Caesarea and from there he went up and he visited the church at Jerusalem and then he went back to Antioch. The first part of his venture, what he was doing, is, is important to understand. This trip really kind of shows his entire trip, all the trips he's making, all the trips he's making. It is for the purpose of creating communities of Jesus followers. He is about creating communities by introducing people to Jesus so that those people who are introduced to Jesus might become a community in that area. 
What I find is interesting as you read through this, Paul would go and he'd share the gospel, he'd talk about the life and death of Jesus, and he'd talk about how he, you've been forgiven of your sins, and how he was resurrected over both, um, the, over dead, that you don't need to, death, and you don't need to fear that. He's resurrected over Satan, and defeated the power of Satan and sin in your life, so now you have the Holy Spirit that you can live through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul shares his own life about how that happened in his own situation, and he would share that, and then he would create this community of followers of Jesus as he would introduce people into this understanding of the Messiah that was always meant by the Father to come to bring people into a relationship with their Father. And... um, what I think is interesting is at one point, there's only one point in the actual Gospels where the word church is used, community, this sense of church. It's when, when um, Jesus is asking them, who do, who do you say I am? And they kind of give a bunch of different answers. Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Peter's pretty happy with his answer because Jesus comes back right away and goes, you are right, Peter. And upon you, Peter, rock, which means rock, so little plan words. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Ecclesia is what the word means. It was a legal gathering in Greek. In the city would be a legal kind of coming together of people where they could enact the laws of that kingdom of Greece at that time. In Roman days, it meant more this idea. They were like a local outpost of Rome. And when they would go, they would get this community of Romans who would come into an area and they would begin to spread the realities of the Roman kingdom and all the goodness and all the peace, the Pax Romana, all the different things that would come. And so they were little outposts for the kingdom of Rome to be permeating society. And so Jesus in his answer, and people have said, you know, what does that mean when he says, you're the rock upon which I'm going to build my little outpost? Is he saying Peter? I think in one sense he's saying Peter. You know, Catholics will say it's Peter, and that's the reason for the apostolic succession. I don't believe it's the reason for the apostolic succession, but I think Jesus is pretty wise. He said, yeah, Peter, you're going to be the king foundation of this whole movement. And then the Protestants come along, and I think they say, and it's wise as well, upon not just Peter, but it's upon the faith of Peter. And it's upon your faith that God's building this church. And then I think there's a step further than that, because what Jesus is saying, it's not just about Peter as a person. It's not just about your faith as a people. It's about the way you live. He's talking about, because he gets excited about Peter, and he goes, God revealed this to you, Peter. This isn't of yourself. And God is looking for people who don't just, you know, come and, and say, I, I, I want you to build your kingdom, God, around me. And, and I, I want you to take my faith. I really trust in you, Jesus. He's looking for people who are alive in the spirit, who are alive to his revelatory um, um, relationship. Where you have the life of God flowing out of you. Anyway, I got it. that's a little side. I'm sorry. Um, so where was I? <laughs> Paul and his team were creating communities of love, grace, kindness, humility, patience in little local communities, and they called them the church, the assembly, the ecclesia. And at the heart, that's what we are, folks. We are a perfectly, catch this, perfectly imperfect community of believers, of followers of Jesus. 
And we are to be on an adventure where we are growing in our oneness, whether it be in small groups or serving teams or learning circles or, or whatever it may be, as little communities, all for the purpose of introducing people that God places around us to Jesus. And that happens not just by your faith through your person, but it happens as you live in this understanding that God actually lives with you and speaks to you and guides you. Just imagine. Let your minds just run wild for a moment and imagine a church, a community of Christ followers that did whatever it takes to serve one another in our communities that are around us, wherever we work, live, whatever we do, and we do this all in the name of Jesus. I have to be honest. When I went on this uh, adventure trip, I was exhausted from work. Not that you guys are exhausting. I just can exhaust myself. That's yeah, my, that's my personality type, and I was just exhausted from, and and I was ready for a break. And now my mind was, I just can't wait to get away, be with my five buddies. We're gonna have fun. We were supposed to only be on a trip of about a ten guys, ten eleven guys. We get there, and there's a glitch. They had something that happened, and we're going down with twenty two of us, with five guides, twenty seven. Now, just to give you a little insight, that's about how many Lewis and Clark traveled with. So I felt a little bit safer in numbers. I was hoping somebody knew what they were doing. And as we went down and were a part of this, um, we all kind of were kind of like, oh, we really wanted some time to ourselves. So what we decided is let's be a community like we are where we can love and support and be together and do that and take some time to do that. But let's also be very inclusive and not cliquish. Which is not always easy to do. So we chose to do that and we didn't go in there with the intention. I just have to say, I did not go in with the intention of leading people to Christ and seeing this whole community, you know, praising God together at the end of the time. Um, that wasn't what was on my heart and my mind. Not that I didn't want to live my life and live my faith. I was all for doing that. So we missed one night where they were reading about Lewis and Clark from Undaunted Courage and we had read that. So we kind of, the four of us stayed back. One of the guys stayed there. Um, and we were a little bit noisy. We're kind of junior high-ish when we're together. Anybody get that? And a guy who was somewhat rough and hardened. In fact, he, he's a world-class spelunker. He's about 50, mid-50s. He would tell us stuff he did. He would go down these ropes into caverns, way down into caves that had not been charted or explored I'm thinking, you're nuts. And he is. Um, he just, but at one point, he, um, I was going by and I heard him saying something to my friend Mark, and I heard him say something about our group, and, and I was a little bit taken back going, uh oh, maybe we're not such good witnesses here. Uh, and so I'll let Mark explain. He said, in the morning after our second night on the river, I was having a cup of coffee after breakfast, with um, Carlo, Vicky, and this group from Houston. And so we're with this group from Houston. You have to understand this. There's a, there's a pretty good, sizable, extended family from Houston. And they are Texas A&M Aggie fans. Anybody know a Texas A&M fan? It's an old military school. At one point when I was saying goodbye to one of the girls, a couple of them, I said, man, um, good luck this year as you cheer your team on. And they, about three of them turned to me and said, we don't cheer. We yell. <laughs> okay. Good. Start yelling for your team. Anyway. Uh, and so, 
uh, he stopped by my friend. So he, he, he Mark's writing. He, he, I asked him to write this for me because I, I want to make sure I get this right. He said they were being friendly and, and, and chatty and asked what we did. So we didn't tell people what we did. Uh, that's somewhat purposeful as a pastor. Sometimes you just want to be you. So we didn't tell people. So then he, he said, you know, why are you guys, they asked why you're here. And he said, we all went to college together. We got together every year and we do it for every year for a reunion. My one buddy Chuck over here is a doctor. I'm a college professor, said Mark. The other guy's a writer and the other two are pastors. And he said that kind of piqued their interest a little bit. And this then, Robert, when I heard this guy, the spelunker, come, he comes in and walks over in his cowboy hat. And he's got his shades on and he says to Mark this. Yeah, well, your group has been pretty unruly. Y'all need to moderate your language. Okay, first of all, you know me, my language is not a problem. I was with a bunch of Presbyterians, so there you go. Okay, I mean, seriously, they're all Presbyterians, and if they're listening, you can hear that, and I'm fine with it. And then he turned around and walked away. And that was when I kind of had seen it. And so Mark says, I thought he was teasing, and couldn't tell whether he was, because he's gruff all the time, wasn't sure what's going on. I realized one night the laughter had been louder and you guys were over there. I was with this and did with that caused the problem. And so I'm going with over to Mark and we're setting up our tents to, that we didn't sleep in because we slept out under the stars. And I say to Mark, hey, Mark, you know, Robert didn't seem happy. What did you take on that? And he goes, well, I, I don't know. He said, it's funny that you came over. I was going over right now just to ask him. So his tent, he would always be in a tent a little di- distance from us. And so Mark goes over, talks to him, comes back and, and explains to us. He walked to him and said, he said, Robert, can I have a word with you? A few minutes ago when you said that we needed to moderate our language, were you joking or were you serious? Um, we certainly wouldn't want to come off as loud and obnoxious. If we have been, then we're sorry. And he smiled and he said, I was joking. In fact, I meant just the opposite. Communication 101, I'm not too sure. Anyway, you guys are so articulate, and again, the Presbyterians are so articulate and thoughtful when you talk. You all listen to each other, and when you respond, you don't just rush in with your opinion or try to score points off each other. Most people just pretend to listen, but are mainly just waiting to state their own opinion You're all not like that. And Mark said, oh, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Because Mark's, you just need to know him. Anyway, so glad to hear that. I was hoping you were joking, but I wasn't sure. Because whenever we do get together, there's a certain amount of horsing around. Um, My wife was with us one time years ago for an afternoon. Just, I think we had lunch together. And we were so junior high, she said never again. Anyway. (laughs) Right? Yes. And so he really smiled and he said, oh, horse and around. He says, of course you're going to horse around. You're friends. That's what's so attractive about you guys. And I was just blown away because we really didn't go there in the purpose of living in kind of sharing our faith as much as we were just living our faith in community in such a way that I think we were demonstrating some of the, the elements of community that people are attracted to. And what happened from that, 
and heard that we were pastors, or I don't even know if they even did know that. One guy who was in 50 successful businessmen pulls me aside, starts talking to me about his recent divorce, asking me about Jesus, asking me about his life, and I had this great opportunity to talk to him. One of my other buddies, this guy Tom, which comes back, he says, I've been talking, we've got about three girls in their mid-30s. They don't even know each other, but they're together, and we were just talking, and every one of them has just gone through a tough time of a breakup or whatever. One of them just um, was somewhat in tears, and, and, and it's because they want to be married. And he said, I just put my hands and I prayed for him. We didn't go in doing that. We were, this was like accidental introduction to Jesus because we were just being a community of followers of Jesus. I, I don't think it's about, okay, laser on, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna lead this person to Christ. No, Jesus will lead people to Christ around you as you live out an actual life with Jesus. I was on the canoe last day, and this lady, she was in her mid-thirties, she was one of the ones who we were talking about, she went out west, she wanted to get away from um, everything because she had been hurt and wounded in her childhood, and she's in the back canoeing, and, and I'm in the front, you might go, well, why aren't you in the back? Well, because the front is the motor people, <laughs> and the back is the steering. It was good I wasn't steering. And we start talking, and she starts sharing with me from her heart. And I start sharing about my family dysfunction and stuff I've had to work through. And I started talking about my own personal sin and selfishness and how it's made a difference in my relationship with Jesus. And then one of the other guides who's in her mid-30s, I see her canoe just because the water, it it seems like the, the sound went this way. And she's slowly drifting back, slowly wanting to hear I got out of there and I had a thought and a question. I shared this with the worship team on one of our planning times. And I just, how do we be like that as a church? What does it truly mean if we're going to reach people with the gospel, we're going to in, in, embrace and empower the emerging generations, and we're going to do this together where everyone is important? And I mean that from my heart. What does that look like for us? I just really want us to pray about that. I think we have a lot of good things in place, a lot of good values. God's brought us to a great place. God's leading us together in worship, and we have now these learning circles, and we've got small groups and marriage groups, and there's other things. One of the things I thought about is this. I don't know how many people are attracted just to come to church, although if they do, invite them. I can tell you from my groups that I've been in, there are a lot of people who will go to a, like a learning circle or a small group or something else that, where they meet in a restaurant or somewhere else. Folks, we just need to begin to pray and ask God for a revelational understanding of how do you want us to introduce people to Jesus. That's really one of the things on our plate right now. I don't think there's a guidebook for each of you. I think there is a guidebook from the Holy Spirit if you want to go on an adventure with him to introduce people to Jesus. Yesterday I went out to one of the hot spots on Lindale and 36 where we have become a presence and there's all kinds of stories around that and there's some of our, I just am so grateful to um, some of our navigator groups because I shared this and they said can we pray for you. So we have a praying team um, in our navigators age group and I'm so grateful for how you are key in what's happening there. We need prayer protection. 
There's been stuff going on there. I went down there yesterday and, you know, people go, all, all you do is pray. No, we pray and we pray and we also ask God for how does he want us to reach people. So one of the things he led us to when we were praying together just on these Monday afternoons was to go to places like this. They assigned us this hot spot with three other churches in the Minneapolis area. And we have been praying and one of the things they're doing now is we're giving, we're giving free hamburger, hot dogs, veggie burgers, and people take veggie burgers. Um, this is a joke to those of you who are into that. Um, that was silly. Um, anyway. What's so cool is people are coming. When I came there yesterday, there's something new. The grocery drug store, because that's where they would be behind in that little lot. They would all be meeting. They weren't there. So they've gone somewhere else. The police put in some pylons so that they can't come into the little lot where we're at and, and spin their cars around the tree. Because you can just see where it's worn out. And then... What I think is interesting is yesterday I came in and there's this big thing here with this big pole with a camera and the police are now surveilling it on a 24-7 basis. I think God used this in there and I've heard facts already about that area. The crime has gone down and things seem to be safer. People in the neighborhood are coming out and getting hamburgers or hot dogs and eating. I one guy stopped the car, just came over, and he said to me, man, free meal, of course I'm stopping. So I don't know what it looks like for you, but you need to begin to ask God, how am I going to be a part of a community of people that introduce others to Jesus? And the second thing that I just want you to know is this passage of Scripture in Acts 18, 23 through 28, and I will just read it to you and make a comment. After spending more time, some time in Antioch, so the first part is introducing others to Jesus, second part is growing deeper in Christ. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So strengthening means causing them to be equipped and grow deeper. And so Paul is now on his third adventure trip, asking God to lead him and guide him. And and one of the places he wants to go is Ephesus. It's where he's headed towards. So verse 24 says, meanwhile, um, he says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So you have Paul beginning his trip. You have Priscilla and Aquila here. And a guy named Apollos is is coming here, and Apollos is a new player, a very significant player. And verses 24 through 28 says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker, which means he's learned, articulate, cultured, who, who, who knew the scriptures well and had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria. Alexandria is one of the intellectual political capitals of Egypt. In that day, next to Rome, it was the most important city in the ancient world. It was uh, um, known for its learnedness because it hosted a library of 700,000 volumes in just Greek texts. And and so when Apollos comes from that place, it's like a guy coming with a PhD from Harvard or Stanford. I mean, he's bright. And it says that he comes from Alexandria in Egypt and he had been taught the ways of the Lord and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit with accuracy. However, 
He knew only about John's baptism when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue. They took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. I just want to say two things about that man. He was hungry. He did not know what he did not know. But he wanted to know as soon as he was told there's more. There's more. And some of you need to know that where you're at, whether you're stuck because you've been wounded and you wanted to kind of pull back or because you're stuck because you just are really busy or whatever it might be, it may be you don't know what you need to know. God wants more of you. Not the church, not some leaders. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking right now to some people and he's saying, it's time to figure out how you're going to give more of your life to God. And he was humble. It amazes me. With all his knowledge and skills, he was not too proud to allow Priscilla, because she was the teacher, to teach him. Here's a Harvard PhD being taught by tent makers. I don't care how long you've been in the church and how much the Bible you know, there's probably something someone else knows that you might need to know. And I just want to call us as a church to introduce people to Christ and to grow deeper in Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And uh, and we're just going to sing a song. And, and, and for those of you who are on live stream, you feel free. We're kind of done. If you need to go, you can go. We have a few more things that I think are really important that I'd love to have you um, be a part of. But um, let the Lord lead.